The U.S. is often called a free market healthcare system, but Medicare and Medicaid are the biggest insurers, and the government pays for about half of all healthcare. The private sector is getting the message with some big players like Humana saying goodbye to private customers altogether. So are we on a one-way train to single payer? Will innovation suffer? And if government pays all the bills, should it also own all the hospitals, physician practices, drug companies, and maybe pharmacies too? Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. David, where are you coming from? What 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 triggered this this <laughs> this explosion of of speculation? I'll tell you what, John. Uh, it's not me. You know, I just watch what goes. I just watch the headlines, John. I watch the headlines and I watch, you know, I watch TikTok, I guess. But Humana just announced it's pulling out of the employer market to focus on government business. I mean, that is the big news, John. Everybody's talking about it. But what does that even mean? Well, I think it means that they're going to focus on government programs. Humana has a storied history of success in a lot of different areas. It owned hospitals initially. It was an early and aggressive uh, investor in getting government programs right, specifically Medicare, uh, Medicare Plus Choice, Medicare Advantage, the Medicare HMOs, all of the things that have built it, helped it build probably the most compelling franchise in private sector Medicare, which is called now called Medicare Advantage. They still do Medicaid plans in a number of states. But I think it's, you know, remember the context here is they had an activist in their stock. An activist is that kind of investor that says, you, know, you need to reduce costs and improve profits. And I think that a lot of times when activist investors get in, companies focus. And this is, this is Humana focusing on what it can do really well, which is Medicare Advantage. It's not that much of a surprise, Dave. I mean, where were you going with all that speculation? <laughs> well, John, I think the question is, okay, so we'll put Humana as a special case. You know, there's always some special case. I mean, how many companies have the word human in it? You know, a human, they could have just called it that. And so sure, Humana has been focused on government plans for a while. And on the other hand, it does say something with one of the biggest health insurers out there says, you know, who's the really the best customer? It's the government. And we're not even going to sell to the private side, especially when we're hearing at the same time, the insurers are complaining about these so-called cuts in Medicare Advantage, uh, and which the, which the administration says are not cuts. And also the Republicans are saying, well, let's cut Medicare and Medicaid just in exchange for, uh, for an increase in the debt ceiling. So it's sort of curious to me, John, that a company would say, I'm going to go whole hog on selling to the government at the same time that we're hearing about you know, cuts and about how uh, it's actually not that, not that attractive overall. That, I think, is what's interesting. Well, it's a little bit more nuanced than your simplistic approach suggests. The government pays for Medicare Advantage, but it is a, it, they're not selling directly to the government. They, Medicare Advantage plans are sold individually to uh, Medicare eligibles who choose to go into those HMO and open open panel plans, the plans that are either closed or open, that are private sector, that often have uh, a lower cost uh, uh, benefits for the Medicare individual and often some extra things like dental and vision and sometimes OTC, over-the-counter drug benefits. Uh, but it is, it, is in, it is a little bit quizzical that at a time when the, 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 the Medicare Advantage plans are you know, fighting for the private sector. It is based on a public sector 
subsidy, but it's a little it's a little bit more complicated than you're suggesting. Are, I, are you suggesting that that uh, I mean, wh- wh- where are you yeah. going here, John? Dave? Don't lead the witness. Usually, you say, "Are you suggesting?" and then you say something that's 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 crazy, uh, which is you know I would not attribute it to myself. Could, could it, it just could be repeating you? So, John, let's look what what's happened over like a little longer sweep of time. I'll just pick 1987 because we have some data for that. Uh, public spending on healthcare at that time, the government was spending about one third of the total uh, amount that was spent on healthcare was spent by the government. And now it's about half. There's actually some distortions due to the public health emergency, but let's say it went from a third to a half over that time frame. Now, if you look at the total government spending uh, as a percentage of GDP, it's gone from about 21% to 25% over the time. So it's gone up, but nothing nearly as dramatic as that. And so clearly the government role in healthcare, sure, it's always been big, but it's really been increasing a lot. And I think there's some bets being made that it's going to continue to increase. Maybe once it starts to get to 50%, then it's mostly government. Then what? Slow down, partner. Let's think about what's happened over that period of time. You've got the expansion of the ACA, the the, the creation of a true benefit for the uninsured and for small business that was unaffordable. That's a substantial piece of it. And another substantial piece is in the aging of America. You've got 10,000 Medicare eligibles being turning Medicare, uh, turning 65 every day as we work through the baby boom. So part of that is simply a, a question of numbers. And the third thing is, if you look at lifespan and expectancy between 1987, when I believe that was your birthday, right? That was when you were born. That was, I was, yeah, I was, that was my first legal drink, John. More people live longer. Naturally, the, the elderly, the folks who are getting Medicare, getting Medicare benefits, are going to it's good the the cost is going to go up now the cost of providing healthcare has also gone up hospitals doctors drugs but there are three structural things i mean the biggest ones being you know the fact that the baby boom is now hitting which will eventually taper off and the fact that we've now got an individual in a, in a lot of states a program that covers individuals and small business at an affordable price i mean don't you think that's relevant dave or are you just going to blame the government on this one. So you accuse me of saying things that are too simple. Now I'm going to accuse you of doing just the same. And it's not an accusation, John. I'll just consider it more in the, in the reign of like friendly coaching. Okay. So I talked about like the percentage of total spending on healthcare. The sh- government share of spending has gone way up over time. Now you're talking about things that are driving more the total cost. Yeah. Healthcare is a percentage of the uh, of the overall economy has gone up too, but the government is, is an increasing share in a market that's that's increasing a lot, and it's not just the ACA. Well, because no, no, but think about it, Dave. If 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 government provides a hundred percent of the ninety nine percent of the benefits for the elderly, and there's more elderly people, elderly go up, price go up. Straightforward, John. The um, you know, as I was going to say, the ACA, you know, is part of it. Some of the things that you that you mentioned, but it's been actually not just the Democratic led initiatives, because we have to remember also Medicare Part D. Uh, which preceded the Affordable Care Act, which was led when Republicans were in office, and that that added drug coverage uh, to Medicare. So there, are, there, you know, it's gone from a lot of different a lot of different directions. And I think that there's a realization that even if you sort of the rhetoric is against things like an individual mandate and socialism and so on, when it comes right down to it, people kind of expect that they're going to get health care and someone else is going to pay for it, and that someone else is the federal government. Yeah, well, this is this this is I think the big reason why. The Republicans have been attacking Obamacare, and and still, you know, I don't know, almost twenty years in, we 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 have uh, we have Part D, we've got 
Obamacare, we've got the ACA. There's a lot of complaints about it, but the reality is the vast majority of Americans are very happy with their Medicare benefit, their Part D benefit, their Medicare Advantage benefit, uh, we're, and we're not going back. So you're right. Government is a much bigger player. The federal government in particular, it's really driving it. And I think that people are kind of happy. I mean, as much as they, we, you and I can come up with reasons to complain, they're, they're pretty popular programs. So John, let me, let me turn it in another direction since we're not beating a, a dead horse. I think that's not allowed anymore anyway. But uh, I want to ask a question about some of these uh, high profile initiatives led by employers or these very rich foundations that are trying to have an influence in healthcare delivery. I'll point out a few of them. The Commonwealth Fund, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Gates Foundation, all you know, philanthropic foundations that have tried to have an impact on healthcare. And then you've got others in the private sector like Haven, uh, famously, which was you know, JP Morgan, uh, Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway coming together. And then when that didn't happen, really, you know, Morgan Health is another example. Are these private players just sort of, you know, talking into the wind or, or, or is there some actual, some influence, some impact that they actually have? Well, they haven't had a great deal of impact, the big named ones that you talk about. But if you think about self-insured employers, which is the next big category of spend, you know, the employers of, of companies larger than 5,000, in some cases larger than 1,000, and the big named players that like you were talking about, like JP Morgan, American Express, the airlines, those are often the place where if you've got an innovative idea as a healthcare company, it's kind of hard and could take forever to get the government interested. Health plans are very are, are historically very slow twitch decision makers regarding innovative ideas. They're 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 like like a lot of things in healthcare. They're very conservative, but they the innovative ideas, whether it's telemedicine before it was intrigued, people were intrigued by that, or different models of virtual first care or remote patient monitoring or different kinds of benefits that push people along. A lot of that started with innovations with the self-insured employers and through some of the initiatives that you're talking about. Haven was a bust. I'm expecting better from JP Morgan Healthcare. But the way to think about them, I, I think, Robert Wood Johnson, Commonwealth Fund, when they back something, is how do you raise the money to do something new that needs to happen? Um, the famously hospital at home was not funded by the by the federal government, even though it makes a great deal of sense. It was funded by individual foundations. And you're going to see, I think, most of that those innovations are going to come from that part of the sector, or at least that's a place where you can innovate somewhat comfortably. Certainly, you know, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, CMMI, um, has had a really hard time doing novel things because everything gets political at the government level. I think I'm actually kind of a mo modestly optimistic about those initiatives. You sound like you're more of a skeptic. John, I remember years ago uh, hearing Charlie Baker, who at the time was the the CEO of Harvard Pilgrim before he became governor of Massachusetts, and is talking about uh, what they try to do at Harvard Pilgrim. Harvard Pilgrim, the health, the health, the health. Just to be clear, Harvard Pilgrim, the health plan, not and nothing to do with the the Plymouth Plantation. Exactly. Or like that. Yeah, the health plan, and they were trying to. They had a bunch of innovative things, you know, like named like number one health plan in America, etc. And they're trying to influence the the hospitals to do things differently. And so they had this, you know, this kind of value based payment system. And they said what happened was. You know, the hospitals would get this and they'd have all these special incentives and things, but they just basically translated into like Medicare equivalent units because Medicare is the main customer anyway. And nobody really cares what Harvard Pilgrim is doing. So like the most famous uh, or like the number one health plan in America had, you know, little impact on its uh, 
on its local market. And that was one of the things that said to me, you know, it really is the government, you know, where things are happening. So John, I think if we look at that and we say, let's look at markets. Oh, I. Yeah. You going to dispute me on that? I, no, I completely agree. I, I, I think if you really want to scale anything, you've, it's gotta, you've got to get the government to pay for it. But if you want to start something, I'm not sure you'd want to start it with the government as a payer. Do you disagree? Well, I'm, I'm talking less on the theoretical side, and I'm saying more, let, let's accept that it's actually a government-run healthcare system. The government is paying, and let's not pretend everything is happening in the, in the private sector, which is how we tend to talk. And if we look overseas instead, let's look at places where government is acknowledged as the only customer. What do we see in those health systems? Well, they tend to have universal access, which we don't have. There's more of a focus on cost, even though they worry about cost. It's half. They worry about cost at half the level we have. There's more standardization. So people are more likely to get you know, equal sort of treatment. They have national databases as opposed to a whole industry trying to link data together. And they have more centralized decision-making, which may be you know, maybe good, maybe maybe bad. It's usually considered bad here, but I think we're we're kind of fooling ourselves by talking about we have a private system, and really it's a government system, and it would be better if we just acknowledge that and acted accordingly. But I don't think it's as black and white as you suggest. I mean, if you look at like an NHS where they've got centralized decision making, they've been underfunded, and it's kind of falling on its face right now. In fact, you know, if if you if you You've got people literally dying because they can't get access to life-saving and very easily executable like cardiac surgeries. You've got people waiting hours to be picked up uh, by ambulances and get to the emergency room. And so central decision-making doesn't always work. Um, You've got advantages like carte bleue in um, France where you've got one card that's got all your healthcare information that's quite powerful because – they made a conscious decision to centralize and simplify and, and, and uh, the information about you and your healthcare record. So there's no mistakes there. But there's, there, are, there are a number of systems that, that could work without going to a fully owned and integrated healthcare system from the government. You've got the system in Germany and Switzerland where you've got a standard benefit. The government's the kind of the finance backbone, universal coverage to your point. But you've actually got a pretty vibrant sector of private insurers that then compete around benefit design and innovation um, that people get to choose. Um, and it could be the BMW plan or it could be the plan of that particular area around, uh, I think it's in Munich, um, a regional health plan that would be competing directly for those beneficiaries, those families to enroll in. And that's worked pretty well. And, and, and it keeps you keep the competitive and the com- Competitive instinct and the variety of choice, without losing the advantage of universal coverage. But I, and David, I, I, I think that's probably a better analog to what the alternative is. I, mean, I don't think America is ever going to go to get comfortable with a, a totally government-run health plan. But um, from a from a finance perspective, I, 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 I you know, ultimately the taxpayers are the insurer of first resort. Increasingly, as as Medicare and Medicaid represent the government programs for the poor and the elderly, more than fifty percent of every every healthcare dollar. So, you know, Switzerland may be the example of uh, of a company of a country whose healthcare system is closer uh, to a free market one. But even there, you know, not just universal coverage, but there's actually an individual mandate. Um, the government, as you say, sets the standards for plans. They are, have subsidies like we have here. They also regulate healthcare prices, and that's something true in Germany too. And I wonder what will happen uh, if we actually move away from uh, sort of a, if 
if we really move toward a government system, let's say, especially as it comes to one of your favorite uh, topics, drug prices, because one of the things that Germany does is they basically make it so that uh, any new drug is going to be priced the same way as, as an older drug. Uh, and it's very, very difficult to get beyond that. And if it weren't for sort of living off as a freeloader uh, off of the U.S. paying excessively uh, for new treatments, you know, we'd probably be in a, in a bad spot. So if the U.S. actually does move more toward being uh, government run in terms of dictating prices for drugs, we may actually see less innovation. What do you say to that? That's a multi-part answer, Dave. I, I, I think we could easily regulate or mitigate by regulation the excessive cost increases of the standard chemical compounds that are not innovative and around which the majority of patent investments are made by drug companies the majority of their patents which are there which are which are set up patent protection for novel drugs uh two thirds of them are about extensions for drugs that are already expiring so you've got you've created an incentive where the drug company is incented to put more of its money into keeping prices up than keeping the new drugs coming. I think you could exclude and protect uh, the, the new drug innovation. Uh, you know, the, the drug companies wouldn't make as much money. They wouldn't be able to fly as many private jets. They wouldn't have as many drivers like you kind of taking them around uh, in their in their in their big big cars. But they would be forced to put perhaps a bit more money. Currently, they spend more money on marketing than they spend actually in developing drugs. And uh, so I, I think there's a lot you could do there. You know, the reality is we are going to have in the United States, I think, a, a, a government and a private sector in healthcare. And government, to your point, does set the price for pretty much everything other than drugs. Uh, you know, even the private sector kind of shadow prices up or down, which is to say they, they base their price based on what government pays. So government does kind of set the rates in everything but drugs. And I think drugs are a unique failure of this public-private partnership. Well, that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk. We've been talking about Humana's decision to throw itself upon the mercy of the federal government and what that means for the rest of the healthcare system. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. If you liked what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service.